Hello everybody, welcome to the mailbag. It's like getting in a nice warm bath and at the other end, hovering above the plug, it's Andy Brassel. Hello, there's an image. <laughs> You're a good man, you'd take the tap end I think. I'm glad you, when you when you say I'm hovering above the plug, it makes yeah. me think that you're saying I've got extremely strong pelvic floor muscles, and I really appreciate that. You do. You you like a bit of uh, hot yoga, don't you, Andy? Yeah, I do. I really do. Mm. It's important, especially as you get older. Yeah, I, I tell you what, it really puts the block on uh, muscle injuries and fibre side. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I've never done yoga because I'm a, I'm a man's man, Andy. And I will, I will struggle through with those injuries, damn you. Because I don't want to lose any points down at the man club. My gold premium membership is in <laughs> Um But I may be pushed down to silver uh, when I tell you that uh, during the lockdown, I have been going on the odd run here and there, although running's boring. It and is. it's knackering as well. Have you ever done it? Um, but uh, the other thing that I've been, been doing is, um, it's not Zumba, but it's one of those kind of, fitness sort of classes where <laughs> you kind of prance around and the, and the instructor on YouTube is is constantly telling you to smile and all that crap. And like I, I laugh my way through it. I'll never be able to do an actual class because everyone will think, what's this knobhead laughing for the whole time? Um, but uh, but it does, it, I tell you what, my hips feel as, as loose as they've ever been because I get quite tight hips, Andy, as you know. And, yes. uh, 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 but no, it, 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 they're, not, they're not half bad, all this. It's not half bad. Sometimes being a 21st century guy has its merits, Andy. Yes, good old remote exercising during lockdown. You can't beat it. You cannot, um, and we don't have another option, let's be honest. But anyway, um, let's put the exercise to one side and relax with some questions from our good people from uh, our our Patreon through the Discord thread, of course. Uh, let's start with Tom, uh, the, the serial discorder, as I'm sure he won't, be, uh, he, he won't mind me saying. He says he's got Sounds a ever question so sinister. About, it does. <laughs> he's got a question about Marcus Turam, and it is always nice to have a Marcus in there, as Mr. Turam will testify to. <laughs> and he says, has his recent form for Gladbach come as a surprise, or was he expected to be seemingly this good already? Do you think it'll be this transfer window or next summer that he'll gather a lot of interest? Andy, it's a good question because I think his his form has been so good this season. I think he's been one of the best players in the Bundesliga outside of of Bayern and Dortmund. Um, and I remember discussing it with a lot of Bundesliga reporting friends and colleagues before the start of the season, and a lot of them thought Gladbach didn't have enough to get in the top four. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that that they might have a shot, actually. I think I predicted them as my fourth-place team. But what I didn't imagine, as Tom asks, is that Turan would have quite this much influence. Um, There's a strong argument that he's been their best player. And Mm. when you're looking at the fact that he's coming into a very good team, um, not just um, the the old faithfuls like... uh, Jan Sommer, uh, Lars Stindl, um, Alessand Player, who had a really good at first season in the Bundesliga season in eighteen nineteen, um, but but the young players like Nico Alvedi um, and Laszlo Benesch, he has done a, a brilliant job. Um, they've got so much bang in the front half of that team. Um, mm. I think they can be a little bit vulnerable when they haven't got the ball sometimes. Um, yeah. But Marco Rosso has coached them brilliantly. But Turan for me has been their most influential. Um, person this season um and it's, it's not just the goals because he's got himself into double figures 
it's not even just the assists actually because he's he's, he's been an, a, a brilliant all-rounder but it's just what he does for the team in terms of his his movement in terms of the fact that he never stops working and hassling the opposition it's been one of those things with the Bundesliga restart really you sort of look at how the coaches manage their teams and particularly how um, that they use their substitutions and there was quite a a discussed moment during um, Gladbach's recent game with Leverkusen, which I ended up losing 3-1. And, um, you know, that looked like it could be potentially quite bad for their their, their Champions League hopes. It saw them briefly deposed from from fourth place. Leverkusen went and and lost, surprisingly, the next game against against Wolfsburg. Uh, But about 20 minutes left, um, Turam got hooked. Now, Gladbach had a really awful first half. They were 1-0 down. Turam equalised with a brilliant volley mm-hmm. and um, with about 20 minutes left and then 2-1 down, uh, Marco Rosa took off Turam. And um, a lot of people were saying, well, you know, what what on earth is he doing here? You know, they're chasing the game and um, they've, they've taken their best player off. I think that's um, an indication of, of, of how far he's come and how important he is to them. Um, but I was there thinking, well, they've got to give him a rest at some point because he's one of these guys who needs to be saved from himself because he just works so incredibly yeah. hard. And um, they, they actually started him in the next game at Werder Bremen and he looks flaked. He, he couldn't move really for, mm-hmm. for most of that game. He had a little spell, but apart from that, he, he didn't look himself at all. But they're, they're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place really because they need to give him some rest because he puts everything into every game. Mm-hmm. But they need him as as, as well because well, he's extremely one, valuable. Yeah. Even though they've got this, like the players to rotate, um, I'm so surprised about how important he's become so quickly. Because um, he had a good last season for Gangon. Bear in mind, Gangon were hopeless last season <laughs> and um, you know, doomed to relegation pretty much from a couple of weeks into the season. They looked terrible from the start. Um, but that he scored a decent amount of goals for a team that was that bad was very impressive. And I think you think of the Coupe de la Ligue quarterfinal away to, um, away to Paris Saint-Germain. That was the moment where I think a lot of people thought this guy has not only got potential, but he's he's got balls as well. Because mm-hmm. in that, it was away at the Parc de France. He missed a penalty. And then they got another penalty. Well, they actually got two more penalties. But they, they got a penalty um, with it 1-1 in stoppage time. And he just picked it up, took it, scored. And having yeah. missed one already and that being such a crucial kick, I thought that showed extraordinary nerve. Um, I thought he could step up a little bit um, because he was clearly ready to play at a high level. But to go and play for a Champions League level team in a better league and become their most important player, that's stepping up and, and then some. Um, so... I'm surprised just how good he's been, just how vital he's been. Um, I think almost because there's that shock to, to to just how good he is. Now, I think the the numbers don't really do him justice. Uh, the numbers are good, but they don't show really how vital mm-hmm. he's been for Borussia Mönchengladbach and what an you know that he's been one of the best players in the Bundesliga this season. Um, so I wonder if that will see him get kind of overlooked. This summer, I wonder if after another season of of Turam, then is the time when someone will have a look at him. I'm sure there are loads of uh, 
lockdown scouts and we've all been amateur lockdown scouts haven't we <laughs> sat around watching the Bundesliga I'm sure there are plenty who think this is a guy who would absolutely thrive in the Premier League mm-hmm. and w- yeah. where someone could afford him and this is a guy who um, gets through so much work he's physical tough but he's really smart as well that there are so many elements to his game um, and the fact that he makes players around him better I think Alessandro Player who we said had had a good first season in the Bundesliga had a pretty average first half to to this season um but when Turam and him really clicked Turam has made player better which mm-hmm. I, I think you have to say is, is an enormous compliment to someone who's just 22 yeah Do you, um Marcus Turam has played at um age cap level for France he's still only 22 and we know how difficult it is to get into the French national side Do you, I, I suppose do you think he he would one day do, do you see him as a as a as a France international or, and it's unlikely considering who his father is, or might he opt to play for Italy because he was born in Parma? Yeah, he was He was indeed. And, um, well, you'd have a cheeky tickle if you'd have a GC, <laughs> wouldn't you? Oh, is I mean, that what you call it, playing for the Italian national side? I can have a little cheeky tickle. <laughs> well, if, if you if you were them, you would want to get him, wouldn't you? I, I mean, would, I, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how possible that is, but that's something I'd not thought of actually, Marcus. I think that's um, an interesting idea. I mean, obviously, you are looking out for all the Marcuses in yes, football, as, as, as is quite right. That is that is mm-hmm. very much your wheelhouse. Um, I, I feel pretty confident on the back of this season's form. If he can continue to reproduce that, he'll definitely mm-hmm. be in the mix for France. He's he's mm-hmm. such an all rounder, and you mm-hmm. think um, that the, the Benzema trainers is. is, is Left the station a long mm. time ago, and it's, it's it's not coming back in a loop. Um, you think that Olivier Giroud is getting a, a little bit older as, as as well, and can Griezmann do the running for the team forever? No, I, I think at some point you have to pay the bill for the amount of work that that he does. I think he'd be a mm. great addition to the to the squad. Uh, for what mm. it's worth, you might be interested to know a little bit of Marcus Turam trivia. Yeah, he was on. actually named by his dad. After after Marcus Garvey, yeah, um, I mean, but, but bear in mind also that he was born in 1997. So I would imagine the first Marcus is named after you will probably only be about mm. what sort of 14, 15 now. So we'll see them as pro players in maybe yeah. five or six years. Yeah, I wouldn't like to speculate. Um, or would I? Would. I? Yeah, <laughs> 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 of course I would, ladies and gentlemen. And it's one back well. Player looking for Tura, magnificently done. It's the second for Marcus Turam, and it's the second from Alassane Player. They're looking for an offside here, I think. Somehow, uh, let's move on to this question from Robbie M, who says If Sheffield United qualify for the Europa League, can you see them having the fate of Burnley, West Ham, and Hull? in performing poorly the following season, or could they potentially do a Fulham? Interesting question there, because I, I mean, I vividly remember, of course, when Fulham, when I say vividly remember, I remember the other ones as well, but but I saw Fulham on their Europa League charge under Roy Hodgson. And of course, they, they finished the season very well. And the following season, they didn't do as well, but they, there was no sort of danger of, of relegation that uh, would, would happen um, a few seasons later. Uh, so I, I mean Sheffield United, Andy, n- not a huge squad. We know that they all the sort of the cliches now as they play well as a team and and da 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 da. But I have to say, Andy, I might be a little bit concerned. But then 
<laughs> it, it's such a shame that we have to talk about it as, oh, do you really want to go into the Europa League? Because qualifying for Europe, for Sheffield United, is an unbelievable achievement. You know, it would be absolutely phenomenal, presuming that that happens. Um, and so, it, it, do you know what I mean? It, it is it is regrettable that, that we then sort of go, oh, that's great, but what about next season? Yeah, and um, well, Robbie, you've really brought the romance of football to this pod. Thanks very much. <laughs> I know, we started off with talking about being in the bath with Andy and then uh, Robbie's just pulled the plug, quite frankly. He said, right, everybody out. <laughs> <laughs> well, of, of course, we're talking about them qualifying for the Europa League. Can we rule Why out not Champions, Champions League? League? Yeah, yeah, especially especially if Manchester City end up um, being banned and their their band being upheld by by Cass, mm. but we'll we'll wait and see. Yeah, um, forfeit the Champions League, Sheffield United. You don't want it. You do. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, the the thing that we've got to look at. Say, if for example, Sheffield United finish sixth, mm. um, and Manchester City are banned at least for next year from the Champions mm. League. So yeah. let's look at the table as is. Say. Yes. Um, Manchester United in fifth qualify for the Champions League. Mm-hmm. Now, I think there's a key difference here. If they Preliminary finish fifth rounds. or sixth. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because when you've got to start playing serious games at the back end of July, I mean, that makes it really, really difficult. You see teams starting to look knackered in October, November, in that middle part that can really make or break your season and mm. can really put you on the back foot um, if, if you tired and you lose some games you can lose confidence um i i think they should be in a good position to avoid that and um mm-hmm. i think they've got a coach in chris wilder who would have thought on to this all, already because he's someone who has adapted to every, every level he's moved up to so wh- why not european football i yeah. think that squad is a little bit more chunky than you might initially think and of course, they've 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 got the ability to go and spend money. You know, you look at the players um, who've who've been signed. You look at um, Jack Rodwell joining up, uh, Sander Berger. You know, they're thinking all the time of supplementing this squad. And then Jack you've Rodwell, got eh? my goodness, yeah, imagine I remember him. Yeah, <laughs> and, and then you've got other players who really have only started finding their feet in in in, in Premier League terms. A, a bit later into the season, I suppose someone like Ollie McBurney, um, Callum Robinson mm-hmm. could come back from his his, his loan spell. Um, you know, I, th- I think they can actually do more with the players that are currently there, mm-hmm. as well as going out and yeah. and spending money. And they've shown they're not shy in terms of spending money. They've they've broken their transfer record. What was it? Mm-hmm. Three, four times last yeah. year. Um, I mean, they've 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 shown that they're that they're prepared to get involved and they're prepared to. Um, supplement the squad to to stay there. Maybe spurred on by the encouragement that you know they've they've, they've performed pretty well so far. I mm-hmm. think missing the preliminary rounds is is the most important bit. Um, yeah. And I think they should have a squad to get themselves in a position to sort of maintain things. Of course, it will be difficult. Of course, it will be a huge leap. Now, if you're asking me if they qualify for the Champions League, how would that look? That's mm-hmm. different because I think the level of intensity, the possibility that you end up either A, putting everything in to, to keep much mm. better teams at bay or B, getting an absolute larrapin off them, mm. I, I, th- I think that would be harder to to deal with. 
But Europa League, I think they could do it because, you know, people always talk about the group stages of the Champions League and how, um, mm-hmm. you know, you really have the, the feeling between the haves and the have-nots there. I don't think that's true anymore. I think the real difficulty between the haves and the have-nots it's in the Europa League. You get mm-hmm. so many uneven groups in it. And when you get a yeah. team like Arsenal in it, I think that was the point this season when I realised that Arsenal were in proper trouble under Emery because I covered their Europa League uh, campaign and mm. um, went to went to most of the games. And when they're, you look at that group beforehand and you think, unless they do something hideously wrong, they're winning six out of six here. Mm. And when they went to the six games, still needing to win, <laughs> yeah, right? You're right. like, yeah, yeah, they've, they've they've not had a great trot here. So, mm. I th- I think Sheffield United, as a good Premier League team, would mm-hmm. be in a decent position to, to to make a fist of that and and continue doing okay. And like you said, the expectation is is, is not on them to like mm. finish top six every season. If they were having a good Europa League campaign and just bobbing along in mid table and losing a game here or there off off the back of a Europa League. Round. I mean, it wouldn't be the end of the world, would it? No, no, I don't think. I don't think it would. I just, I think it's such a shame with the, the Europa League competition that it's so vast that people think, oh, should, should we bother? And and I know people immediately say, oh, bring back the Cup Winners' Cup, and so on. I mean, we, we've had those discussions; it's not going to happen. But it is, it is a shame nonetheless. It's only two extra rounds, though, um, compared to the Champions yeah. League. Should say that as well. Mm. <laughs> Do people uh, basically let- mean you you don't get as much money for it? Yeah, uh, I'm not I mean, sure. is, is is that what they mean? Uh, or I'm doing something else on Thursday nights? Uh, they, they might mean that as well because you know I think certainly during lockdown it's been easy to think that like now that all the football's coming back, should certain days of the week be sacrosanct from football? Should we all have a breather on like Mondays and Thursdays? I think yeah. there's an argument for that. But mm-hmm. as um, Elton, the goalkeeper of FC Porto, once told me, mm-hmm. never underestimate the UEFA Cup stroke Europa League because as he put it it's 15 kilograms you have to be a real man to lift it How about this question from Rich Lay who says uh, listening to the replay of the latest at the match Andy your, your, your uh, fine podcast of course it was quite Good timely choice. as Andy yeah, as Andy was there at the time of protests about the Bundesliga having matches on Monday night the suggestion was that the crowd was important for the product and the ultras ultimately could spoil the package by controlling the crowd noise However, we saw the piped-in sound at Dortmund's last home uh, last game, and it was a pretty good job, which must weaken the ultras' position. So the shortened version of the question is, does TV actually need to give any concern to the ultras now? We have seen they probably don't need the passionate crowd to enhance the game. Well, I suppose that's... If you see the actual game and the crowd as separate, you would need that to make the argument. It's, it's mm-hmm. clearly not the case, though, is it? Because what yeah. we've seen in the in, in the Bundesliga so far is that we've had uh, less fouls, less diving, interestingly, <laughs> less rows with the referee, less mad tackles, all that sort of stuff. Because the tempo is at least partly dictated by the the, the crowd and mm. the, the the players react to the crowd, so it, it does have an effect on the football. Uh, that, that's that's absolutely incontrovertible in, in in terms of the the numbers that we've we've got back so far. Um, I, did the piped in sound do a pretty good job? 
I mean, uh, maybe it, maybe yeah. it's, it's it's adding something um, that that wasn't there, and it, compared with complete silence or just the players shouting in mm-hmm. what feels like a, a an empty re- arena that they're rattling around in, maybe it's preferable. Does it really replace it? I don't really feel that that's the case. I think it looks terrible when you see the stands that are emptied, and obviously. We've just been watching the opening of La Liga where they had these like painted on fans. They did it with some Norwegian tech company, didn't they? Mm. And I thought that looked really unconvincing, yeah. uh, to be honest. Also, they don't get the goal shouts right as well. I mean, the, the, mm-hmm. the best overlaid sound that I've heard on any football so far is when um, an offside got given against Benfica in their first game back. And whoever was controlling the whistling got it absolutely spot on in terms of timing, pitch, insistence. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, the referee must have been hearing that, even if he wasn't hearing it. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it, 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 it was incredible. But I think it sounds like it sounds like FIFA noise. It, it sounds like something well, like FIFA. And, and that's the thing that FIFA never gets right, I think, the, the goal shouts. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I, I think this whole kind of thing about... I, I, I don't think the crowd noise should be piped in to be perfectly honest with you I think don't try and kind of suggest it's something when it's not I think yeah. that I, I think you know it is what it is Let, let's it's just daft you can see that they're not fans there I get the kind of novelty of cardboard cutouts and so on yeah fine that's that's a, that's a different thing or sex dolls if that's the way you want to do it in certain parts of the world but um I, I'm 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 against sort of the, the crowd noises in general and to suggest that um that it would weaken the position of, of football fans and ultras. I think it would be. An, I think it would be a, a new low for football if <laughs> if that was a kind of an ace card. That, but do you think you know, it's the, convincing, Marcus? Do Do you think it's convincing? What's that? Sorry, the, um, the 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 crowd noise. Do you think it's convincing? No, no, no. I don't. I, I don't. I don't care for it personally. No, I'm not. I'm, it, I'm not saying. Do you like it? I'm saying. Do you think it's oh, convincing sorry, sorry. Re- reproduction of? Or do you just think it's the the best in the circumstances? And yeah, I, like I, think, the, I think I like the idea that as a viewer you can opt in or out of it. I mean, when you're watching it from home, you know, it's, mm. it's up to you how you want to enjoy it. It's not for me to tell you how to enjoy it, is it? But sure. for, for for me, it, it it doesn't do it, and it doesn't sound convincing. And when you are playing FIFA on your Switch or your mm-hmm. PlayStation or whatever, the reason the commentators are so important is because it, it's just a big, like you know, generic crowd munge. It doesn't really correctly <laughs> react to what's happening, does it? And the, the goal shouts aren't convincing. So that's why you need Martin Tyler or Derek Ray going, it's yeah. a goal for Bayern Munich or, 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 or whatever. It's just a big, disgusting munge, Andy, is what it is. <laughs> and I'm not in favour of any sort of munge normally. Um, but there we for are. For what it's Let's worth, that, 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 is, that yeah. is actually a genuine drum and bass production term. Is that right? Beat munging was really big in the nineties. Beat munging. I'm it glad was. you. I'm glad. Just to clarify, I'm, I'm not just making words up. You could be for all I know, but I know that you are as <laughs> you are as honest as the days long, Andy. And I, and I would never question anybody's uh, anybody's um, knowledge of of drum and bass stuff because it will always be better than mine. So, uh, are you ready to move on to well? Perhaps we're staying with drum and bass because we've got a question here from DJ Chubby Bubble. Is he? Yes. Is he was he on the scene in the nineties? 
Yeah, I think he habitually took Because Roy the Chubby spot. Bubble was. <laughs> yeah. A Chubby Bubble normally took the spot on the bill between Fabio and Groove Rider, I think. Yes. Uh, yeah, I was popped out for a drink at that point. Um, well, uh, the, uh, uh, DJ Chubby Bubble's question is, who's your favourite early noughties La Liga midfielder? I love how specific that is. It's not noughties, early noughties. Got to be in La Liga. He says, for me, it's Valeron or Baraja. Um, I feel that Marcos Asuncao is criminally underrated. Well, what'd you, I mean, Valeron was a great player. I, I do oh, uh, agree with uh, with you there, Bubble. He was. I, I mean, I, I suppose it depends on how you interpret uh, Chubby Bubble's question, really, doesn't it? Because mm. if, if you look at Valeron, out of those three, he's clearly the best player. Mm-hmm. I remember Thierry Henry saying once upon a time after they um, Deportivo beat Arsenal at Highbury that he was best midfielder in... In, in Europe, I mean, he's so rated by other players as well, which I think is yes. is, is, is quite interesting. Well, I remember that performance. Deportivo was superb mm. that night in, oh, at, yeah. at, at Arsenal. They were magnificent. Yeah, they 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 really were. And um, you know, Valeron had such vision. He yeah. was so elegant as as, Very as well. And uh, but I, I think if you're taking it out of the early two uh, thousands context, he's he's definitely. The, the best of these players as well, not just in, in terms of his, his, his quality. But if you look at like his career as a whole, part of a really great Mallorca team that uh, and it propelled them into the, the Cup Winners' Cup, got the Copa del Rey final. Um, mm. He had that weird year at Atletico where he played quite well and then they had, to, they had to flog him because they got relegated, which is how he ended up at Deportivo. Mm-hmm. Absolute legend at Deportivo, recovered from all those injuries and came back into the team improbably yep. and like helped them get out of the, the Segunda. Then he went back to Gran Canaria, helped Las Palmas come up and played mm. in the top flight as a 40-year-old and still decent at that point <laughs> as well. He was nearly 41 by yeah. the time he, he, he played his last game. So... I think if you're talking about best player, no no question which is the best player out of these three. And when you think of, you know, who had the career that influenced the most spells, th- then it's got to be him as well. But I mean, I, Ruben Baraka won a couple of league, La Ligas with uh, Valencia, though. Yeah, in, in in this particular spell, didn't he, uh, as well, mm. 2002 and 2004. Um, I mean, I, I know... You and I both have a little soft spot for Pablo Aymar, who was part of that same oh, yeah. team, uh, who I think has to be in this conversation. Bear in mind, um, got to the got to the um, Champions League final in two thousand and one, just shortly after joining Valencia. Well, back then, to back, the Champions League finals for that Valencia team. Yeah, he he only arrived in what January two thousand and one. Though okay. I think he came in the he came in the winter window. Right, right. So he played in that second final, and then after Hector Cooper left and um, Rafael Benitez came in, he became a a key part of that team before he started getting diminished through injury in later years. Um, hundred percent on board with uh, Marcos Asensio. Incredible free kick taker and part of a really good Betis team as as, as mm-hmm. well. I think what, 2005 Copper winners and they got in the Champions League in, in that era as, as well. Mm-hmm. He, he, I agree, he's very, very um, underrated. Um, I mean, there, there are a lot of names you could have in there. By Guti, the way, I, I think yeah, good one. Bit, bit, bit I of a favourite if, if we're going up and up. Yeah, I think I think I should say that Marcos Asuncel, I pronounce his name quite 
you're poorly there. I, I think I had Sergio Concisau on the mind or something when I when I attacked that one. Um, but He's yeah, always he was, on he, my mind. Indeed, indeed. I, I think we've got to say Gazika Mendieta or Gazika yes. Mendieta, yes. um, who was just a phenomenal player, like so lovely to watch. And I thought it was such a shame when he left Valencia because he was leaving a great team. And he, so I think he, what did he win? The Copa del Rey there? He may well have won a sort of a Spanish Super Cup, but yeah. losing those two Champions League finals is a great shame. And, and in, in, in 2000, 2001, as you point out, mm-hmm. because he, he left in 2001 for Lazio, 2000, yeah. 2001, there, there weren't really many, if any, better midfielders in Europe. He was unbelievable no. in that, that, that Champions League final run. Yeah. And, it didn't I mean, really work he, out at Lazio so much for him, which was... No, it, 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 it didn't. I mean, you know, I wouldn't want to lay any blame at Sven's door, particularly when no. I'm talking to you about it. But <laughs> when he, he came into a, a really good team that had been breaking up, I mean, this was mm-hmm. post-Valeron, post-Nedved... And also Spanish players aren't habitually that successful in Italy as well. He no. had the, 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 an enormous price tag. I think he was like third or fourth most expensive player in the world that at that point. A huge signing, yeah. As, as, as well. I mean, they paid the thick end of 50 million for him. And this was in 2001. Yeah. So uh, that's um, underlining how important he was. Basically, I think what we're taking from this question is mm-hmm. um, 2000 to 2004, five Valencia unbelievable is that what we're taking yeah. from it i think it is but we should also mention with mendieta he did win the league cup with middlesbrough yeah absolutely which it's is quite handy, an achievement it's quite handy I don't, I'm not, I'm not, as well apparently is he really or maybe I, I, that's why chubby bubble really just sort of he didn't mention mendieta but he's thinking fellow dj i think he no, still no, lives I'm, in the northeast yeah he, he, uh, yeah i, I think i think he might have i think he might have moved down south for uh media work media. And, uh, and, and the like. I remember because I did. Um, there's there's like a kids version of Match of the Day called Match of the Day Kickabout. Yeah. And um, I, uh, I I was on that with him actually. Um, Were you really? Yeah. There was like probably probably about five six years ago now. Lovely mm. fella. Really nice. And um, basically, we had to um, sit in this sort of fake dugout uh, in in the sort of. Uh, it, it was it was back to back with the CBB studio, which obviously mm. my very small children at the time were very excited about. Um, first aspect of my work that they were ever excited about that I met some of the presenters <laughs> off CBBS. But anyway, I was sat there in this little dugout with the sort of um, Formula One chairs with uh, Mendieta. I remember the presenter, this lovely guy called Radzi, who uh, used to do Blue Peter. <laughs> he, 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 he was very enthusiastic. And I, I remember he just went to, uh, he went to guys come Mendieta. So what was it like being a footballer? And, you know, he's very kind. Cool he's like, well, obviously it's a dream, but you've got to work hard and all the rest of it. And then he just did this little pause and he goes, so, What's it like writing about football? <laughs> well, that's not much of a second question, is it really? <laughs> <laughs> What's it like having blonde hair? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, beautiful locks did Gazika or Gaisica Mendieta. I wanted to I wanted to put Yulan Guero in the mix, talking of lovely locks. But mm. he was more of a nineties midfielder, really. That was his heyday, so I can't do that. Yeah, well that's that's the thing. I mean, it's easy to forget because they're so culturally dominant now that mm. Barcelona were really shit at the start of the 21st century. But mm. if you go backwards a little bit, of course, Xavi was already involved by the start of the 21st century, though not part of a great team until Frank Reichard came along. But if you mm-hmm. go back 
to the 90s and you think Johan Cruyff Dream Team and, of course, the first spell of Louis van Gaal. There's lots of sexy Barcelona midfielders in that time. <laughs> Very sexy. Well, we started with a sexy image, Andy, and we will finish with one. <laughs> it's, been, uh, it's been a pleasure as always on, on the mailbag get your questions into uh, the, uh, the the mailbag thread on uh, Discord of course thank you for, for all of you who have uh, asked questions we, we try and get through all of them of course some weeks are more plentiful than others so uh, but we always encourage you to get them in at whatever time of the day whatever day of the week just get them in so there we are Andy a pleasure thanks very much my man we'll see an you absolute all. delight as always Absolutely. We'll see you next week. Was a Stakhanov production.